Hello, and welcome to the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bummer Dude Media. Today is March the 23rd, 2022. His name is Alex. My name is Frank. You see how I did that right? Because I'm sober. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Um, hey, man, guess who's in the news? Oh, uh, Jesus Christ. Donald Trump. Uh, no. Mr. Throza Parks himself. Throza Parks? Oh, yeah? Who the fuck is that? Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick. We were, I don't know if it was live or I saw it on Instagram, but it was Theo Vaughn. I think when we saw him live, he was talking about... <laughs> That's hilarious. He's about Colin Kaepernick and he called him Throza Parks. It's the funniest <laughs> thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, have you seen he's working out with uh, some wide receivers in the NFL now? Yeah, he was working out with Justin Fields, the Bears quarterback this week too. God, I hope more than anything somebody gives him a chance. Yeah, fuck yeah, dude. With some of the people getting deals, Kirk Cousins getting the huge deal he just got in Minnesota, come on now. I've long maintained that it's been at best wildly unfair that Colin Kaepernick has not had an NFL job. And at worst, it's been like the most egregious example of blacklisting based off somebody's views on humanity that I've ever seen in my life. I don't agree with almost anything that Colin Kaepernick says, but I think his ability to go out there and do what he did, it's like the most patriotic thing you could like ever get behind. Like the entire reason that we're here today is because Colin Kaepernick has the ability to take a knee on a sideline. The premise behind it was so dumb to me, the whole the whole whirlwind. And now, just if only for the entertainment value, not to bring justice or not to give Colin Kaepernick his due chance, just to see the circus. I want it, man. I want it. Very surprised that Pittsburgh signed Mr. Bisky over him like especially with like all the like I know like Pittsburgh like obviously they've got Mike Tomlin like premier black coach in the entire league they just hired Brian Flores to come on their staff too with all his shit going on in Miami I'm like dude this is a perfect narrative right now you bring in cap and you guys can just have like the full black wave and take over the NFL type shit and and they signed Mitch Trubisky I was just like really yeah I don't know I think um I heard somebody yesterday say give give Mitch Trubisky like this kind of rundown like he was a little bit misunderstood or that Matt Nagy was a reason that he sucked in Chicago. Eh, well, whatever. I don't know. I mean, Chicago's got their own problems. It didn't look like Mitch Trubisky was an awesome quarterback. Yeah, I watched a lot of Bears games, bro, because they always black out all the other fucking games here in Chicago. And I mean, mm-hmm. dude, the year that Matt Nagy won coach of the year is when they went to the playoffs that that year. And he, I mean, he had a decent season, but he, he still had a lot of flaws. And as it continued to go on and people started to figure out Nagy's like coaching schemes, Mitch got really exposed. So I, I, mm. I mean, I don't know if, if Andy Nagy is the best coach in the world. World, but I think Mr. Bisky is not. I think he got extremely exposed, and and maybe like the, it was just a bad relationship, and it went on longer than it should have. But I was really surprised by Pittsburgh choosing him. I mean, basically, it's between him and Dwayne Haskins. Those are your quarterback options, really. Two failed Baker quarterbacks. Mayfield. Uh, you think he would do that? Oh, he hates the Browns now. Maybe he would. Why not? That's jump. I, I mean, that's I going think, Michigan to Ohio State, though. That's that's a big jump, man. I think Baker Mayfield gets a terrible rap. I don't think he's nearly as bad of a quarterback as people says he is. You think so? Um, yeah, I really do. I mean, he, he he had a tough go of it last year. He was very clearly injured the entire season. Yeah. And he toughed it out. I don't know. I, I like the guy. Maybe he's not, you know, the, the truth, the light in the way, and he's going to lead you to Super Bowl, but he's not, he's not that bad. But anyway, I mean, getting back to Colin Kaepernick, it's been six years now since he's been in the league. I think definitely six years ago, he was absolutely one. He, he was top 64 quarterbacks in the world that, deserved a roster spot on a on a team at the very least yeah i mean he went to a super bowl bro like <laughs> fuck yeah so i don't know we'll see i i hope it happens i really do man i, I just oh i want it 
People are saying he's in the best shape of his life right now. That's so I've heard the stories. Yeah. And you know, it, 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 Roger Goodell in 2020, I don't know if you remember this, but he gave this groveling, terrible, just cookie cutter apology from his den where he apologized for God knows what, whatever, (laughs) whatever he had to apologize for at the time. But he recognized some pitfalls in the NFL as it pertains to race. And I don't know. I feel like now if you're going to do that, might as well give the guy a chance again. Why not? Why not? Who says no? If you're starting Josh Jackson, do you know, or he's Josh Johnson? Do you know who Josh Johnson is? No, Josh Jackson. Wasn't he the Chargers quarterback? I, I don't know. Josh Johnson. Yeah, I don't Josh know. Josh Johnson was a quarterback that was drafted in the NFL in 2008 out of the University of San Diego. He's played on maybe 12 different teams. Hmm. In 2020, he was playing for the San Diego Admirals, some failed professional sports league team. I think it was like the AAFL or something like that. I forget what it was. That year, he was started for them. The next year, he started a game for the Washington Redskins. Oh, wow. So if you're starting Josh Johnson, who I love, I think he's great. I think he's still on a team somewhere. Serviceable quarterback. You're going to tell me that there's no spot for Colin Kaepernick? I've always thought that that was asinine. I thought it was so dumb. Yeah, even as like a backup too. I mean... Like the dude has experience. Like we said, he's been to a Super Bowl. So it's like this guy has, and he's, I mean, he's played for a great coach in Jim Harbaugh. So he's got experience. He has something that he has value to add to a team. So kind of crazy, but it's, it's also kind of crazy that six years after the fact, he's still going after it. Good for him. Yeah. I love it. Good for him, man. In other sports news, I don't follow the MMA very much. I don't really know who fighters are. But I know names, and I saw uh, Jorge Masvidal was in the news. So I go to look it up, and it turns out he sucker punched another fighter who was coming out of dinner in Miami, broke his tooth, and I think fractured his eye socket or something crazy, man. And apparently, this guy was talking shit online, and 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 that's what prompted this attack. Yeah, well, so the whole thing stemmed from two weeks ago. I mean, this is Colby Covington. This is who just beat Jorge Masvidal in, in UFC 272 a couple weeks ago. You said his name's. Colby Covington? Colby Covington. They hate each other. They've been talking mad shit. And in this last match, basically, what Jorge was really pissed about, because he's a striker, he's a finesse dude, Colby is a ground-and-pound bruiser. And Colby, basically, this entire match, fucked this dude up by just being taking the match to the ground and not letting Jorge get up. So Jorge, like, he took the L. It was, like, very lopsided, unanimous decision. But Jorge's like, fuck you. I didn't even get to fight you. Like, we just spent the whole time rolling around on the ground. Like, fuck you, fuck you. And you could tell, you know, there is some bad blood there. Obviously, there's going to be another fight. But you just broke this news to me this morning. I did not know that this happened. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, so I didn't I didn't know any of this backstory. This is the police officer giving his account. Upon my arrival, I met with Covington, who stated he was attacked by Jorge Masvidal as he exited Poppy Steak Restaurant. He was walking northbound on the 700 block of First Street when Mr. Masvidal ran up to him from his left. Without notice, he punched him with a closed fist two times in the face, stated one punch was to the mouth and the other punch was to his left eye. During the attack, Covington heard Mr. Masvidal say, you shouldn't have been talking about my kids. And then he observed three or four other unknown males approaching Approaching him in an aggressive manner, pushed one of the unknown males away and separated himself from the attackers, ran back into the poppy steakhouse where where he contacted police. During the attack, Masvidal fractured his or yeah, fractured his front left tooth and suffered an abrasion to his left wrist. Mr. Masvidal was wearing a blue surgical mask over his mouth, a hoodie raised over his head, and sweatpants. That's kind of chicken shit. So he was trying to conceal himself. How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that if you're an MMA fighter and you have the opportunity to fight this guy and you're going to go and you're going to... 
you're going to like sucker punch him. That just seems odd to me why you would do that. What I'm reading here is that these guys actually used to be pretty good friends, Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal, to the point where Colby was like staying with him and his family. And in the lead up to the fight, Colby brought in Masvidal's family and referenced like his estranged wife, Marita, and his children. He said... Uh, you know, he likes to always say I was sleeping on his couch. He said, I slept on her couch and by her, I mean his wife. They're still legally married. Maritza Masvidal, the lady that sacrificed it all so we could chase our dreams together, uh, you know, so we could be focused on our dreams. He's out there cheating on his wife, cheating on his kids. So Saturday night, this is for Maritza and all the people uh, he backstabbed. So this is that's what he said leading up to it. I, it doesn't really seem like he said anything like bad about his kids, basically just saying that like. Masvidal by cheating on his wife, yeah. like was cheating yeah. on his family. Uh, and he even said more of his family likes me than they even like him. So he was just kind of talking ill about his family then. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm this guy, Colby Covington, I'm just going to like sue the shit out of, out of Masvidal. If, if only just to fuck with him, you know, if, if only just oh, to hold sure. it over his head, but like, all right, well now I got you by the balls, motherfucker. <laughs> like, here, here we go. Mm-hmm. I mean, and even if this dude, it looks like he's suspected of, it says a uh, felony battery, even if that happens, whatever, he's got money to get out of it or serve whatever time whatever but you know dana white is eating this shit up for the next fight whenever that happens sometimes i even wonder if some of this shit is staged just to like hype up the next fight yeah you know yeah i I don't know i don't think it's like a wwe stage kind of thing like that's that's that was a whole different kind of thing but i do feel like Dana White, like, especially by not like suspending people and doing shit like that, like when Conor McGregor was like throwing shit at that dude's bus and and kind of did the same thing outside of a UFC fight before. It's like no suspension, maybe a, some fines, but like the way these dudes are getting paid, like that don't mean shit to them. Like they, he, Dana White wants this. He wants the the drama. It's getting us talking about it. It's gonna get pay per view buyers. You know, it's it's just it, it just makes me wonder if it's ever part of like a formula. Yeah, I don't know. It seems uh, if it is, if it is, then it's then it's like this guy Dana White is just as a much bigger genius than than I think we give him credit for. But I I don't know. I don't I don't believe that. I just these dudes are too real. You know. They're too, uh, they're too dedicated and they're too focused in their craft to be, to be doing all that. But maybe, I don't know, maybe. For sure. But like, I think if like the MMA took a harder stance on like punishment for these guys, mm, maybe I we wouldn't see some of this shit happen. I but you. I think that like, they know they can get away with it. And it's like, obviously he's pissed. He just lost to him. So I, I don't know, maybe not. But I mean, Dana, dude, Dana's a powerful man, man. He's growing. I mean, as the UFC grows and grows and grows, he's like real good friends with Donald Trump. Uh, he's like real linked in with those full send dudes. Mm-hmm. And like helping them boost up their podcast, they just had Trump on their podcast, and and they're they're starting to blow up. They're like the second or third biggest podcast behind Rogan and like one other one now. I didn't know this. Which is just yeah, it's it's wild, man. So I like Dana White. The power. I like a I like yeah. a guy who can speak his mind. He seems to be a little bit. Uh, he seems to be like reason, like a rational person. You know, like a little bit of a meathead, but but not like ignorantly so. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think he speaks his mind, and I, I think. You know, what he has to say is pretty, pretty rational for the most part, from what I've heard. Grew up one of the biggest sports in the world that basically had a thin air. Yeah. Which is impressive. Um, so I guess, you know, more to be seen. I, I wish I knew more about this stuff, man. I've never followed it. I, I was never really, I like watching the fights. I just never really got into it. It's never my thing. Talk to Babs. Babs is really into it. And I, I'm like a casual fan where I know like the bigger names and I watch the bigger fights, but like. Babs, he stays on this, and he he knows a lot about the sport, so he could definitely fill you in. Oh, right on. Yeah, like like Colby Covington. I might have heard that name before, but I have no idea who he is. Yeah. Masvidal, the name sounds familiar, but I've only heard him path. I couldn't reference a fight or anything like that. Masvidal is one of my favorite fighters, bro. He's just such... I love shit talkers that can back it up. Yeah. But 
you know, I took the L. Colby's a great fighter too, but I, I just love people that go out there, talk shit, and then back it up, man. It's the best. Wells Fargo has some backing up to do. They're in some trouble, man. Yeah, they are. I saw this study that came out this week, and it basically, dude, it threw them under the bus hard. I mean, and maybe they threw themselves under the bus hard. I, I don't really know, but basically, uh, over the last couple of years with everything that did, happened with the pandemic and with mortgage rates crashing, like a lot of people wanted to refinance their house, rightfully so, you know, kind of get a fresh start on their mortgage, take advantage of these rates, you know, maybe make that monthly payment a, a bit smaller. A lot of people were refinancing the past two years. And some numbers came out this past week through a Bloomberg article that was looking at the Home Mortgage Disclosure Act from like 2020. And it has data from 8 million completed applications of people that were trying to refinance. And the entire pool, which is like all the other lenders, like JP Morgan, Chase, Fifth Third Bank, Loan Depot, all these kind of places, shows that 87% of white people that applied to refinance their house were approved. 85% of Asians were approved. 79% of Hispanics were approved and 71% of black people were approved. So these are, these are applications for refinances that got approved from all lenders who are not Wells Fargo. Correct. Okay. Now, if we flip this data to Wells Fargo, we see that 72% of white people were approved, 67% of Asian people were approved, 53% for Hispanics, and only 47 for Blacks. And that has caused a lot, a, a, an uproar, a huge uproar, because obviously it's showing that Wells Fargo is a lot more stringent in who they approve, as you see with white people at 72%, and that was on the low end of all other lenders with black people at 71%. But it, it's got a lot of people scratching their heads. It's brought in some lawsuits already as well. It's kind of really discouraging, man, because you see, you know, we talk about all the time where, you know, the best way for people who aren't maybe like white families where you think that maybe they're privileged or whatever, and they have this, this family money, the best way to like do that for other races is to like set up that generational wealth that we talk about all the time. And now it looks like even people that you know are trying to do that for their families and put money into their homes. Some people have multiple homes where they're trying to refinance, whatever. Like people that are trying to do that now are getting the door shut on them and, and they can't even like do what they need to like continue to make more money. Like I, that's money in their pockets ultimately if they're saving on their mortgage payment monthly, you know, or the ability to put more towards their mortgage and pay off that house quicker and own that, that thing. And that's a full thing you can give to someone. What it's saying here is that if as expected, this Fed, the policy committee moves to hike these interest rates coming up, it's gonna begin to close the door on a remarkable wealth event that has seen US homeowners refinance almost $5 trillion in mortgages over the past two years. Uh, it's one that allowed white homeowners to save an estimated $3.8 billion annually by refinancing their mortgages in 2020. But it's a door that barely opened for black Americans who make up 9% of all homeowners and locked in just $198 million, less than 4% of the savings. So it's just, you know, you, you hear, you know, it's everyone's got the same opportunity here in America. You know, you just got to work hard, blah, 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 blah. But even for the people that work hard, you know, even, you know, and, and, you know, secure a home and try to set up that generational wealth. Now, you know, they're trying to take the other steps and do, take advantage of the other things that, you know, traditionally so many Americans have, and they're getting the door shut on them, man. It, it's just crazy. And then you look at the total number of people that filed to refinance in, in this, you know, past, two years or so, and 4.9 million of them were white. 579,000 were Asian, 469 were Hispanic, and only 254 were black. So, you know, even within, when you break it down, like obviously it's way more white people and they're approving 
pretty much all of these people. But then you have a small number of black people that are trying to take advantage of the same thing and they're getting the door shut on them. It sucks to see like kind of systemic racism come out with with stats and hard data that like really backs it up. Yeah. I, I, and I think the one question that hasn't been answered is why you would you would expect there to be some sort of explanation if, if you're going to be accused of such disparity that that would that would facilitate cries of racism, then you would hope that Wells Fargo would be like, yeah, okay, we see how this would look, but you know, this, this, and this, but they've declined to comment altogether. So they haven't said anything about it. Yeah. They said that they treat all their potential borrowers the same, which obviously not. And then if, if they're, and they said they're more selective than under, than other lenders, which is true, right? Like they, they even every statistical category that, that this Bloomberg report had found, Wells Fargo accepted less in every category, but like way less with black people, like way, yeah. way less. If you look at all the other lenders kind of broken down, JP Morgan Chase accepted 81% of refinancing applications with pe- for people who identified as black. Uh, Bank of America approved 66% and Rocket Mortgage approved 79%. So this seems to be a Wells Fargo issue and nobody's really Nobody's really uh, commenting on why that is. Lawsuits have been brought up, and so they're going to have to answer for what the hell's going on, for sure. Yeah, man. And and like you said, um, this is an opportunity, a gr- like a grand opportunity to, you know, get a step up and take advantage of the the monetary policy that the United States has had for quite a while. But especially during the pandemic, you know, it was, we saw a run on houses and, on you know, everything got scooped up. But on top of that, you saw this huge run on refinances. I mean, my, I think both of my parents refinanced their home, got a crazy low rate. Um, it was a really, really good time if you were in the mortgage lending business. Oh yeah, dude. So we bought our house in April of 2019 uh-huh. when all this shit was going on. We refinanced in January of 2020. <laughs> well, a year into our mortgage. <laughs> hilarious. Cause it's yeah, like, why hilarious. not? The rate yeah. is so much better, bro. You got to take advantage of it. And it's like, it shouldn't only be, I guess, white families that get to take advantage of this and like, you know, better themselves or have more money for whatever pay off sooner. Like, well, that's just, it just seems wrong. It does seem wrong. And it seems to be focused on one company and, and Wells Fargo has had their fair share of problems in the past. I don't know if you remember not too long ago, they got caught creating accounts for people without their permission because these uh, bankers were paid on the amount of accounts that they opened. So th- what they would do is they would take just random ass people and they would just open a checking account for them Whoa. without their permission or their or their knowledge. And this was done systemically. This was throughout the entire company. And people would go in and they would find these accounts with their names on them. Like, I did not open this account. What the fuck? And then, you know, this became such a big issue that there was an investigation and Wells Fargo got fined. And I, I forget what the punishment was exactly, but they've had a terrible run the past like 10, 15 years. They've just, it's just been a not well-run bank at all. This wow. this story, although it, you know kind of alarming, it's not surprising to me that it's Wells Fargo. It wouldn't be surprising if it was any bank, honestly, but but Wells Fargo is like, yeah, kind of is on brand a little bit. Yeah. And and the case study that in this Bloomberg article, uh, it references a man named Mouse Ricard III. And he basically, in February 2022, tried to refinance his four-bedroom colonial in a suburb of Atlanta. Uh, The dude is a Microsoft engineer. He's married to a doctor and he has a credit score north of 800. And the bank told him no. And they kind of like stalled him and stalled him. And then basically what Wells Fargo said is that perhaps the area is not eligible. They wouldn't even give him a hard answer, but they based it on the area that he lived in and said if they were going to do it, he was going to have to pay a higher 4.5% rate, even though the reserve was at like historic lows 
I think it like got down to like 1.9 at one point or like 2.0. Like it was super, super low. And they're telling him he's going to have to pay over double. So it's just like, that's just not a good look, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's not, not a good not, look. No, dis- we're discriminating based on area. Like it's just, it's wild to me for this kind of stuff, man. It is wild. Uh, you touched on the signal of the Federal Reserve to raise rates. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been pretty well known. We hadn't touched on it for a while. We spoke about it a long time ago, but not too long ago, the Federal Reserve basically said that r- this year rates would go up at a, a, a at a pretty significant pace, which I have my own thoughts about this. We knew at least a year ago that inflation wasn't quote unquote transitory. This is what we were told by the Biden administration when they took office in January, 2021. And as prices started to go up immediately, and then they passed another $1.9 trillion spending bill. And I was, I was like, oh shit, here we go again. This is another spending bill on top of the most spending we've ever done in the, in, in the pandemic year of 2020. Everything is hot right now. I mean, you, we talked about the meme stocks and people just being able to throw money at anything. Well, when you inflate Fuse the economy with so much cash, you print so much money, and you don't have the resources to back up the spending power that you've just created, then you're going to get inflation. This is basic principle stuff. But we were told repeatedly that this wasn't something that we needed to worry about and that it was transitory and that it wasn't going to be an issue and that it's kind of on par with historical rates of inflation. And then towards the end of last year, everybody had a reverse course because it became blatantly obvious that inflation was a thing that is here to stay and that is not transitory, that is actually happening and it's a problem. So how do you combat this problem? Well, you batten down the hatches and you say, we're not going to provide money at a rate that is so ridiculously low that anybody could borrow with a reasonable rate of return, right? Like you can borrow at 1.9% knowing that you're going to get 5% of that money. You're going to borrow that money all day. You're not going to take your cash out of, of your of your assets to invest. You're going to borrow that money and then you're going to get that return and you're going to be okay with that return because you're not using your money. And that is how an economy grows very steadily. Now, our economy is not bad. Inflation, high inflation doesn't mean the economy is bad. In this case, it means it's too good. And it means that the that the response to the buying power that was created is, is, is too slow to meet the demand. And so then the prices go up because there's more people wanting to buy things than there are things. So now the Fed is saying we have to raise these rates because if we don't raise these rates and we allow for money to be too cheap, that means too many people are going to borrow. In my opinion, too many people have borrowed. And if too many people are going to borrow, that's just going to uh, take the economy even further upwards. And we don't feel like we have the resources or the capabilities to meet that demand. So we're going to have to taper that demand by raising rates. Do you think it's it could head anywhere towards like uh, like the mortgage crisis in, in 08, like, like whether you'd have like a short position with all the lending that's been going on? Or do you think there's things in place that would prevent that now? I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell. Yeah. Just this week, they changed from their position to move rates up by a quarter percent to half a percent, which is a significant move, right? And so they're saying instead of doing the four, I don't know, four or five times they were going to raise rates this year to a quarter percent, they're saying, well, we, we might have to change some of those uh, increases to to half a percent. If you're, if you're confused about what I'm talking about, what this means, when the Federal Reserve says that they're going to raise the interest rate, we're saying the interest rate, what the, well, there's interest rates everywhere. Well, the interest rate that the Federal Reserve raised is the interest rate that your bank borrows money. So you borrow money from your bank, but your bank gets their money from the Federal Reserve. And that's how we can control monetary policy. So 
for a long time, the interest rate that your bank had was able to borrow money at was next to zero, which is not good because that means that people will just take on insane amounts of debt because it, you know, the payback is, is almost nothing. The more you increase that rate, the more expensive everything gets because the more expensive it, it, it gets to borrow money. And if people are borrowing less money, that means the economy grows at a slower rate, which is kind of the point here. But then you have to say, well, do we trust these people to do it, to, to raise these rates so significantly in such a short amount of time that it's not going to shrink the economy so much that then we fall into recession categories, right? Like then we, then yeah. we start saying, well, if the economy is not growing as much and then people begin to batten down the hatches in their own household and and from a, a very small micro perspective begin to stop borrowing and spending money, well then, yeah, you're correcting the issue, but are you going to overcorrect it? And that, I think that's the concern that people have is, are you going to overcorrect it so much that people are, you know, are going to feel like we're going to be heading toward a recession? So they start to shelter their finances. They start to shelter their, their buying behavior. Right. Because I get what's happening now because we have supply and demand. Like there's a shortage of car companies and chips to make cars. So the used car market's going crazy. Those prices are super there's a shortage of wood. So instead of people trying to build houses, they're trying to buy houses. But it's like when all of production catches up, eventually it's going to have to happen at some point. We're going to get back on track with chips and wood and, and all these other things. Like at, I would think at some point that our importing will, will get back to somewhat normal. When that happens, like what the what's going to happen now? Because now you're going to have huge interest rates on houses. Like there's going to be no incentive to buy when you, you have all the stuff you need, but it's super inflated in price. Right. And then I think the real kicker there was gas prices. Yeah. Because when your gas prices go up, everything goes up. It affects all things. It's not just um, you filling your car up with gas. It's how much is it going to cost this farmer to run their tractors this month? And if that price just went up 2x, well, then then how are they going to figure that out, right? Like it's so drastic of a move, uh, this inflation and, and the way that things are going right now that everything, it rises everything. And so I, I, I respect what they're trying to do. I think that they're a year too, too late on it, to be honest with you. I think we saw these signs very clearly a long time ago. And for reasons that I can only identify as, as political, they decided that they weren't going to move on this yet. And now they're deciding they're going to move in the opposite direction very dramatically. And, and it's concerning. No doubt it's concerning. Add on to that all the volatile geopolitical issues that are going on. And it's like, well, gosh, man, like one little thing and this, you know, this whole thing is real fragile. I think it's a whole lot more fragile than we give it credit for. Do you think at all like companies are taking advantage of all of this as well to like make up for their losses and, and things that they've had to experience through the last couple of years? Because I, I saw like, for instance, with the oil and with the gas this past mm -hmm. like, couple of weeks, I saw that the last time that a barrel of oil was at a similar price, gas was still a dollar cheaper in America than it was like this past few weeks when it was at the same price, but like up in the fours at the national average. And it's, it's just like, as compared to when though, what was the time? It was the last time that a barrel of oil was at the exact same price. I, I could look up the numbers here for the sake of, of solid information, but I think it was like the last time a barrel of oil was $94, which I think is what it was. It was like three thirty a gallon. And this past couple of weeks, it was like four twenty-five or something like that at the same price. And it's just like, is that oil companies just trying to, you know, make an extra buck because times have been hard, whatever, like now the electric revolution, we need to, you know, pinch every fucking dollar out of these people we can, or are there other underlying factors? Yeah. I mean, I think you, the generally you'd have to just look at what is the federal motive, the federal policy for energy. Because right now there's no incentive for oil companies to, to do any sort of offshore exploration or, or invest in their business in America, right? Because and you hear it from the Biden administration all the time. There's 9,000 unused oil contracts. We're not telling them not to drill. They're, they're saying they're not going to drill. Okay, fine. Like that's 
a fair point. But then if you have signaled very, very clearly that you're not going to invest in oil production and you're not going to diversify the energy production of, of America, but you are in fact going to pivot very strongly towards one direction. Well, if you're an oil company, you're like, okay, well, what incentive do I have to go in here and, and, and do this? It's, it's not going to be uh, worth my while at all. So I think you'd have to look at in the past, if there was something, if the the barrel of uh, the cost of a barrel of oil was relative to what it is now, right now our prices are so high. I I, I hesitate to say that's greed, right? Because I, I talk to gas station owners all the time. And they're telling me this hurts them because less people are buying gas and they don't make any more money on this, right? Like they're beholden to the contracts that they sign for oil companies and the oil that they buy from them. So they're beholden to those contracts. Their, their, their profit margin doesn't fluctuate wildly. So I think you really what you have to look at is what was our position on energy back then? And did we have the incentive to produce more oil back then? And if we did, then you can supplement or you can reduce the the higher costs of oil that you're importing and the the cost on the American consumer is, is much less. So and, and that that's kind of a generic answer. But I think if you're looking at it from a macro level, that's that's the only way I could see that because like, I don't want to discount corporate greed, but at the same time, these people, you know, they're not, they're, they're, they're not saying, oh yeah, we lost a bunch of money in 2020 and these prices are going up. So we're really just going to, you know, screw the consumer. I, that's not how it works. I gotcha. And just to back up with the info, I was saying this. So February of this year, February 13th, oil was at $96 a barrel. Gas was 362 a gallon. On the 14th of March, it was at the same price, $96 a barrel, but gas, the national average was 431. So that, and that's from Bloomberg. That's the source there. So this was also a tweet from President Joe Biden. So, you know, I'm sure maybe some of this is skewed in a way to make him look better, but it did, it showed, I mean, this chart that it's shown here, you can go right up on his, on his page. This is from March 16th. It, It shows basically a big spike right as this Russia, Ukraine shit started popping off towards the beginning of March, uh, where it peaks for both oil and gas prices on like the 9th mm-hmm. of March. And after the 9th, crude oil price drops significantly back down to about 96 a barrel where it was kind of before and has been like this entire year. Yet the gasoline price remained high. Mm. So that's the only thing. It's just like if it is, you know, if it's all kind of the same kind of thing and, and the these looking at this chart, they have they have been right in line with each other this entire time. And it seems like now it is not going, the price, the gasoline price is not going down, although crude oil has. So it's just kind of, it does make you question these companies if, if they're just trying to make up for lost margins or looking ahead for the future, or if there's more at play here, like, like you were saying. Yeah. I'd have to look more into that and see, and see, you know, kind of what that all means. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not, like I said, I'm not discounting corporate greed and I, and I certainly would be, uh, it would be disingenuous for me to say that, that that's, that, that wouldn't play a part into this, but at the same time, I think that there's a lot of evidence to support the fact that the United States has been hostile towards fossil fuel production, for better or worse, and they've provided no incentive to do anything other than invest in green energy. But and you know, up until now, that's seen as something that's good until until you know matters. So, I think really the answer here is just a, a much more robust and diverse energy portfolio. And that also means taking a very, very hard look at why we're not producing nuclear energy. Who are we relying on for that right now? Do you know? What, nuclear energy? Yeah. Or are we no, just we're, not we're dis- disassembling all of the nuclear plants in America. So, we're just getting rid of it? Because I know like Germany yeah. got 
they did the same and got rid of all their plants, but now they pull all their nuclear energy from Russia. So we're not doing something similar. They, if they pull energy from, from Russia, I, I don't know that it's all nuclear, but that would just be how Russia does it. We don't, I don't, we don't import nuclear energy. You have to produce nuclear energy at the source. It's got to be a locality. For example, there's there's a place here in uh, San Diego, right off the coast of, it's like right before or after Camp Pendleton in San Onofre. So that might even be Orange County. And they look like two boobies, Ooh. two domes, and they have little nipples on the top of them. And it's a, it's a nuclear plant. It's a nuclear reactor right on the ocean. So they can cool it with water. And that had previously sent a ton of energy to the grid of Southern California. They have just, they are in the process of dismantling that and every single other uh, nuclear plant in America. I think there's two active ones right now. Out of fear of what the ramifications could be in a worst case scenario, which I get, and, and, and we should definitely consider that, but I think we can manage that kind of volatility. And it's the only answer towards true, clean, emission-free energy. It really is. The fact that we're not exploring it heavy enough or, or that we're deciding to go the opposite direction in energy, it just does not make sense to me at all. It, it seems to be the most counterintuitive thing that we can do as a nation if our goal is to go green, right? Is If carbon emissions are our number one issue and we're doing away with the only source of energy that we know we can contain the waste, it just mm. boggles my mind. It's it's like you guys are not serious people if that's yeah. the case. Sorry to clarify what I said. So Germany shut down all of their nuclear power plants and then set up pipelines with Russia right. to import their oil for their energy. That sounds a lot, but that, yes, a lot more that like, makes yeah. more sense. And, yes. and actually development within the last couple, like last week or so, they have you turned on that very harshly, shut down plans with Russia with those pipelines and have mm -hmm. gone back to investing into their own coal powered plants. Which is something that Russia had not planned for. Yeah. So that probably hurts big. Time. It hurts big. There's a story in the Wall Street Journal today about how they're really starting to feel the crunch in the oil sector. They are not doing well. I don't see, I don't want to talk a whole lot about Russia today, but I don't see sure. how Putin can, I don't see how Russia can get out of this while Putin is still in charge. Yeah. That's pretty crazy to think about, right? Because who, who goes back into Russia? Let's say today Ukraine makes concessions on Mariupol, a city that they've already lost the Donbass region on the, on the uh, Eastern part of Ukraine, Crimea, and they promise to never join NATO and they sign a ceasefire. Putin pulls out of Ukraine. What companies go back into Russia? That's kind of the question I asked. Like what, what yeah. the hell happens? When do we like, okay, yeah, good. We, our needs were met. We can start doing business again, Russia, McDonald's, right. Apple, you, all these companies. You did bring that question up last time. When does yeah. Starbucks decide to open up their, their, their stores again? Right? Like what? Mm -hmm. And I don't know that that ever happens while Putin is still at the helm. I think he's committed suicide. He's just still living. Really? You, like political suicide or like you think someone's going to take this dude out? I heard there was a hit on his head by a Russian, like a high up Russian person put like a million dollar hit on his head. Yeah, I heard that too. <laughs> but, but I mean like, but you know what I'm saying? Like what option does he have? I feel like he's like a, a cornered caged animal right now. I was like, okay, I've made this decision. It was a terribly... A, a miscalculated blunder. Yeah. Something that I'm not known for. And because of that, I have now cut myself off to pretty much the rest of the world. Our country is now isolated and we are relying on very few points of influence to survive, which means that I have lost all leverage. And the only thing that I have right now are hypersonic missiles that the United States and the West does not have and the second largest nuclear armament in the world. That to me paints a terribly scary picture. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Because how many times have you just seen, I mean, I saw a story uh, yesterday. It's so damn sad. This guy, forget what it was. He was, I think he was an illegal immigrant, I think. And he was supposed to have been deported. If I had the story wrong, I'm sorry. There was something egregious. that It was either that or he was released on bail for some reason. Goes and murders his children and then kills himself. I only bring that up to say that we know these stories happen all the time. There's people out there who have gone so far in one direction that the only way they have out is to end it all. And then they're so pissed off at the world that they're going to go and take as many people down with them as possible because they have just gone so deep into the depths of hell. Yeah. And that's what scares me. And that's where I think Putin's at. And I don't know that he's got support of the population. Maybe he does. I don't know what the fuck goes on over there, but it just seems to me that it's not great. If there it's is a ceasefire and they come to an agreement, do you think his ace up his sleeve uh, for U.S. relations would be to release Brittany Griner back to us? <laughs> Who saw that one coming? Brittany yeah, Griner, man. Brittany Griner in a, in a geopolitical uh, pawn. International drug smuggler, Brittany Griner. Crazy, man. Crazy. <laughs> Dude, for some I don't fucking know. weed cartridges? Come on now. <laughs> Come yeah, on. yeah, but, but, hey, hey, here's the thing, man. You have to know what, where you're going and what you're doing when you go there because that shit, that attitude does not exist in a lot of the world, the attitude yeah. you have right there, just some weak cartridges. True. Come on, you know they kill people on site in the Philippines for for drugs. Oh damn! No, I did not shoot on site. You are have a license to kill a drug dealer in the Philippines. Wow. Yeah, so I'm saying, man, like the, like the whole world is not the United States. I think she thought like she had more leverage than she actually had to because I think she plays for a Russian team like in the off season. And I'm sure this is not the first time she's done it. So I'm sure she's like, yeah, well, I did it before. I can get away with it here. And yeah. Russia just doesn't put up with that shit. And if you're a high profile American in a time like this, you don't think they're going to yeah. try and use that as, as, as leverage for anything that they can. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it was short-sighted on her part, but, but nobody's talking about it. Nobody's like, Hey, we should go get Brittany. She's in a jail in Russia right now. <laughs> this is fucked up. <laughs> yeah. With very limited contact. I don't mm-hmm. think many people have spoken to her. Yeah. So that's, that's scary, man. It is scary. I feel, I feel terrible for, I, I couldn't imagine what somebody like that is going through right now, man, just to be yeah. in, in that position to wonder if you're ever going to see your family again. I mean, it looks like they extended her, her prison term, I guess. I don't know what the justice system looks like in Russia, but I, I think they just extended it for another three or four months. Well, Russia also isn't really cool with gay people and she's, she's a lesbian. So They're definitely like, not cool with gay people. Yeah. So that's even, that even adds more to it. She's like, I, a gay drug dealer in their eyes kind of a thing. Like it's like two strikes as far as Russia is concerned. Like, yeah, ugh, I just, I just hope that there's a way for her to get out of there, man. That is not a good situation. Same Brittany Griner of all fucking people, man. Yeah. Just so right. out there. So right. out there. Um, yeah. yet Dennis Rodden can go back and forth from yeah. North Korea. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, do you know anything about, uh, this, this, uh, new Supreme court justice? No, you just, yeah, no, you brought that up earlier. I had no idea. What's, is someone retiring or what's happening? Uh, yes. And I cannot remember his name. Um, I can't remember his name, but anyway, yeah. Supreme court justice is retiring. Bill justice for the sake of, of our conversation. We'll call him Bill justice, Mr. Justice. Um, (laughs) and judge Kentanji Brown Jackson Oh, has been okay. Nomin- yeah. 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 I'm in on this. I thought this was like another new, new one. No, 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 no. So okay. she, she's been nominated by, by the Biden administration to be the next Supreme court justice. And this is the whole situation where Biden was like, it's going to have to be a black woman. And true to his word. 
Yeah. We have a black female. And what's interesting about that, that particular statement is yesterday during one of the hearings, she was asked if she could define what a woman was. And she said, no, I'm not a biologist. I just think the irony is just, oh my God, if I could bottle it up, I would suck on it with a little baby suckle thing, whatever you call that. <laughs> all day, I just put it in my mouth. You, ma'am, d- despite all of your wonderful achievements as a as a judge in, in the American uh, judicial system, <laughs> have been nominated because you fit two criteria. One of them is being a woman, yet you cannot define what that is when you're asked. It's unbelievable, man. You oh think that God. it's that, or she just didn't want to say the wrong shit. Well, that's <laughs> like what right it was. Now it's, but yeah, like, it's like, but like, why is it dicey? I mean, if you're a judge, you should be mm-hmm. able to say yes. A woman is an adult female person. Yeah. <laughs> why can't you say that? But apparently, yeah. you can't say that. Um, anyways, look, I don't want to spend too much time into this. I don't have a whole lot to say. But all respect, she's she's an incredibly uh, uh, a fantastic judge, and she deserves to be nominated. She will be approved. There's no way that anybody can stop it. But we have to go through these hearings anyway, right? If you remember back when Brett Kavanaugh was going through this stuff, uh, people actually brought out his yearbook. Somebody had his class schedule and tried to like piece it together to try to improve a point. It was unbelievable, man. Like the hoops that these people dropped through. Anyways, there's not a whole lot we can say about this, about, uh, about this judge, but there was something that came out yesterday and I thought it was interesting enough to share. So I want to play this for you guys. This is Senator Josh Hawley from uh, state of Missouri, and he is going to question judge Brown here on her record of sentencing for convicted, I, I, I guess we wouldn't call them pedophiles, but people who have been convicted of possessing child pornography. Here are, I hope, in the next couple of days, some of the cases from your time on the on the court, the district court, the federal district court, that I hope that we can talk about. Let me just run few, through a few of them so you know exactly which ones I mean. United States versus Hawkins. This was a child pornography case where the defendant distributed multiple images of child porn, possessed dozens more, including videos. The federal sentencing guidelines recommended a sentence of 97 to 121 months in prison. Prosecutors recommended 24 months in prison. Judge Jackson gave the defendant three months in prison. United States versus Chazen. There it's the, that case, the defendant possessed 48 files of child pornography. The federal guidelines recommended 78 to 97 months in prison. The prosecutor recommended the same. Judge Jackson sentenced him to 28 months. United States versus Cooper. There, the defendant possessed dozens of images of child pornography and uh, distributed, I should say, distributed dozens of images of child pornography, possessed over 600. The federal guidelines recommended 151 to 188 months in prison. That's a long time. The prosecutor recommended 72 months. Judge Jackson gave the defendant 60 months which was the lowest sentence permitted by the law. It goes on. I think he covers like seven cases like that, where there's the federal guidelines, there's the prosecutor's recommendation. And then in those cases, the sentencing was lower than what the prosecutor recommended. And then this next clip is her response to allegations that she's soft on convicted child pornography abusers, I guess, whoever you'd call those people. As you said, the guideline was based originally on... Uh, a, a statutory scheme and on directives, specific directives by Congress at a time in which more serious child pornography offenders were identified based on the volume 
based on the number of photographs that they received in the mail. And that made totally total sense before when we didn't have the internet, when we didn't have distribution. But the way that the guideline is now structured based on that set of circumstances is leading to extreme disparities in the system because it's so easy for people to get volumes of this kind of material now by computers. So it's not doing the work of differentiating who is a more serious offender in the way that it used to. So the commission has taken that into account and, and perhaps even more importantly, courts are adjusting their sentences in order to account for the changed circumstances. Do you, do you, do you understand what she's saying there? She's saying it's easier to get child porn these days. So like, you don't know if the person actually is like a more egregious sex offender or if they just like have more access to more of this shit. Yeah, more or less like like back in the day when this when the statutory guidelines were written for child pornography possession, it was under the assumption that you were gathering these materials in a, in a hard copy form, right? So if you can get them in the mail or whatever, if you had 600 photos of underage, you know, uh, children being abused in, in that case, it's, it's an incredibly egregious crime. But if you were able to be in possession of 600 digital copies of the same thing, it's a less egregious crime. And the way that the statutory limits are written today it doesn't allow for the differentiation of somebody who's a very serious, quote unquote, very serious offender of possession of child pornography versus somebody who was just kind of curious, I guess, or had the ability to look in dark places on the web and find these things. And then they were in possession of them. I kind of see what she's saying. I like, do kind of see what she's saying for that. But like before, if you had 600 pictures of kids, you saw like you gathered that intel and, and it was not easy to get like the Internet was not around or at least in the way that it is now, bro. Now you could log into Pornhub and type in, you know, teen minor or whatever the fuck you want and a million videos will pop up oh could like, you al it's fucking disgusting not that i know <laughs> I, honestly like i wouldn't be looking at that I'm shit i swear to god you. i'm just messing but i'm just with saying like it's so much more accessible where it's it's like i i do see what she's saying so I, I don't know i don't know if that's that egregious i get her point but i would hate to be in the position of defending being soft on child pornography possession I don't ever want to be in that position, especially no, if yeah, I'm right, being right. like a, a nominated for the Supreme Court. It's the only thing that came out of it. I don't think this is a reflection on her ability to be a fantastic judge. I think she's, she's proven that she can. I just thought it was interesting that there's this leniency towards it or, 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 or the ability to see through the, the statutory limits and say like, okay, like one of the cases with like an 18 year old kid who had, I don't know, videos and pictures or whatever. And, and he was saying, and the, and the, the judge or the defend the the defense of this kid, this eighteen year old kid, showed like the diplomas and the all the achievements and the, all the things that this person has done, and said, "Listen, this was a person who decided that they were going to go down a road that they should not have. They are very sorry. They were curious more than anything, but they're not a pedophile. This, that, and the other. And I can respect somebody who takes a hardline stance and says, "No, you're a pedophile. You're looking for child pornography.'" I've been curious in my life. I have never looked for kids being abused. Like that's never been something that I've Fuck ever no. wanted to see or right. pursue. And if you're in that position in the first place, I think, well, you know, maybe you say he's not a pedophile and I understand that he's, you know, there's a whole bunch of other things that prove that he's a decent upstanding human being. However, there's this. So I think that there, and she's even said it, like she believes that there is a disparity and that there's such a harsh outlook on sex offenders in general 
because it's such a broad term and that people aren't given the fair shake of, say, somebody who's, I don't know, committed any other crime where they have the ability to rehabilitate themselves. But there's the stigma for a sex offender that is so harsh. And that if I go and I throw the book at this 18 year old kid, I'm probably doing more harm to this person than the harm that was done to the victims of the pornography that he was in possession of, which is a terribly tough stance to defend. And so like, I can't, I can't sit here and say like, I totally agree with her. I understand where she's coming from, but like at the end of the day, the, the, the ability to, to find leniency or to find any sort of rationality for that kind of stuff. I mean, I think it's gotta be like met with swift, hard punishment, no matter what. I think, and that's just the way I take it. I think it's going to go the exact opposite though, Frank, because now there's a huge push to like make pedophilia a mental disease and have it be looked at the same way as like depression or anxiety Mm -hmm. or, you know, any, it's like, they're trying to make a push that it's like a sexual preference. It's not necessarily wrong, which is crazy to me. I I don't know though. Like it's hard mental health and all that stuff. That's, it's hard for me to, to talk about, I guess, because I don't fully understand it or like suffer from those things. But it's like, dude, if we're going to start granting passes to, to to these kind of people like that that's some scary waters man like i'm all for being accepting and loving but like we're gonna rehab pedophiles yeah and i know you you know we've flat? covered stories not in, in in any great length but stories about you know people who have said that it's more or less a a sexual identification like you would say i'm gay or lesbian or straight or transgender or whatever i am attracted to children, right? Like it's not something that is okay, but it's also something that is something that can't be helped or what I don't like, I don't know the official stance on it, but, but, yeah, but you can't help that you're a serial killer. Yeah. I you know, are we going to start problems. rehabbing serial killers? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, it's tough, man. I don't think it's bad to call out psychotic things like to call. I mean, it's a mental issue, but I don't think that means that it's necessarily something that we have to like try to fix for people either. Like some people are just fucked up. Like you have bad eggs. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's a harsh stance. Like that's, I don't want to be insensitive, but like some people are like, it just, that that's, I, I don't know. That's just life. Like life is hard. Life is tough. It's filled with things and people like this. Like I, to just, to try to like fix everything and fix everyone and like put them into like what a cookie cutter person should be or could be like, it's just, I don't know, man. Yeah. We, Seems you know, like we've taken some pretty tough issues on the show. We've taken on some pretty tough issues and I've taken some pretty harsh stances uh, on, on some things, some pretty hard line stances that, 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 you know, I believe to be true. And, and I, I, I appreciate that other people don't, but I think the one thing that, that we've consistently uh, tried to uh, bring to light on this show is the fact that there's no tolerance for the, uh, the abuse and the manipulation of children. Yeah. Right. The, there's absolutely no tolerance for it. And so I think we have the ability to sit here and, and, and you know, wax poetic about the, 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 the justice system and how you could see the, in, the inroads of, of sentencing for pedophiles, this, that, and the other. But again, I go back to the, to the point that I, I would hate and I would never want to be the person that's in the position to defend my position against being too lenient on people who have been in possession of child pornography. And I just don't see a lot of wiggle room there. I don't see a whole lot of, of, of reasons where I should feel sorry for this person who has done this, this thing, right? Like I get it. Maybe like, I, I, you know, gosh, I mean, couldn't you make the same case about Brock Turner, right? We are all up in arms because this judge gave the guy, what, six months in jail or less than that because he said he didn't want to ruin his life. Meanwhile, Mm -hmm. there was a woman who was blacked out and got raped and her life was ruined. And so if you look at the, the victims, the real victims in this, which is the 
people who are or are abused and, and 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 have had these pictures or videos taken of them, then you separate the person viewing those photos from the person who actually made those photos happen. And to me, I don't see any distinction. If you're consuming yeah, the no, material, yeah. you're you're continuing to allow this child to be abused. There's no yeah. there's no separation of. Whereas in the case of, of Brock Turner and 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 that Stanford rape case, there is there's absolutely no separation because you have the the offender and the victim. You know exactly who they are. But because there's not that that uh, you know that third party in there, that degree of separation, then you could say, well, like uh, I don't know, maybe this guy isn't so bad, even though he's consuming this material, he wasn't taking the photos or he wasn't in possession of an alarming amount out of them. It's like, nah, I don't know. I don't know. That, that, to me, there's no gray area. It's black and white. Yeah. No, I hear you. No, anyways. I hear you. Got breaking sports news for you real quick before we get out of here. And Sarah had to leave, so Walter has joined us for the last little chunk here. Is Walter signing with the Detroit Lions? <laughs> That'd be sick. I'd be terrible for your actual sports career, buddy, but I'd be pumped. Um, the Chiefs have traded six-time Pro Bowl wide receiver Tyree Kill to the Miami Dolphins for five draft picks, Whoa. including a 2022 first round, uh, which is the number 29 pick, a second round pick, number 50, a fourth round pick and a fourth and a sixth in the 2023 draft. So basically five picks over the next two years. Jesus, for Tyreek Hill? I'm, yeah, that's a shocking move to me, man. I don't know who the fuck, like, I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster is not filling Tyreek Hill's shoes. Like, that's an elite receiver in the NFL, man. I, I cannot believe they let him walk. That's wild, man. That's insane. Yeah, very crazy. What also is insane, insanely cool, I guess is what I should say, drinking a good smooth cup of coffee is a treat by itself, but what's insanely cool about you could take that amazing thing and tie it into something else that's also amazing uh, and help American heroes. It can make that coffee that much better. Our sponsor, Gun Barrel Coffee, is proud to donate $1 from every item purchased to veterans and first responder charities all across our great country. And they offer 14 different blends and roasts, which you can get in whole bean, ground, or single-serve pods. Right now, as a friend of our ship, you can use the promo code FNH10, and you'll save 10% at checkout when you buy their products at GunBarrelCoffee.com. That is promo code FNH10. Gun Barrel Coffee, damn good coffee, damn good cause. Make sure you check out the links in our bio. Hit up some merch. You can help us rep the Friendship News Hour. Get the word out there to family and friends. We'll be posting our shit all over the socials. Share it. Help your boys out. Get us out to the world. Don't take uh, Al's example here and try to refrain from cursing in front of your newborn child. <laughs> Thank you kindly. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, yeah. That's going to be a hard one for me. Man. I don't know how I'm going <laughs> to. I was thinking about that the other day. I was watching this oh. little video of a girl saying, um, Mom was like, what did you say? What did you say a kindergarten curse word was? And she goes, pissed. <laughs> and she was like, say it again. She goes, pissed. And she, go, she goes, where'd you hear that? She goes, it means pissed off. And she goes, yeah, I know. But where did you hear that? She goes, uh, I just think it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, kids are amazing, bro. Yeah, hell yeah. Where can people find our stuff, our things? Yes, you can find uh, us on a multitude of social media uh, at Twitter, on Twitter, at FriendshipNH, <laughs> uh, on Instagram and TikTok, same handle at friendship news hour and you can send us an email bummerdude.media at gmail.com bummerdude.media at gmail.com and we will see y'all next time bye walter